There, friends, welcome to the Raised by Whoops Faith Radio Show. It's your pal Andrew here, and I'm sitting with my little my little friend Pele, my dog. We're uh, we're trying to get through this recording, and you know, it's just uh, it's one of those days where he wants to do other shit. I don't blame him, but uh, I've got a guest for you today that I can't wait for you to hear. Her name is Mary Steele, M E R Y Steele, and uh, she lives in Ohio. She plays a guitar, sings, plays a bunch of instruments. And I uh, was kind enough to play her guitar and sing for us on this very fake radio show. You'll hear that coming up. I had a uh, I had a good time talking to her, and I'm just kind of impressed with some of the stuff that she's up to, not the least of which is her involvement in a group called We Amplify Voices. Highly encourage you to look that up. I put a link on our website, but it's uh, at We Amplify Voices on Instagram. You can see what they're all about. And what Mary's up to with them. And you can find Mary on Instagram as well, at the Mary Steele. And it's spelled M-E-R-Y, the Mary Steele. Yeah, find her music. She's got an album coming out sometime soon, to be determined. Um, there goes Pele. And uh, yeah, she's. you'll see. I think you'll like her. All right. Uh, I'm going to keep this short because this episode ran, ran a little long. But... Uh, if you got any questions for us, reach out. You can hit us up on the website. It's rbwpod.com. Contact us. Tell us what you're thinking. Uh, we've got many interesting things coming up here in the future. Boy, Pele is just—he's had it. He is—he's totally had it. Yeah, there's more good stuff coming up, <laughs> and we'll—we'll—we'll uh, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll let you know what's happening. I'll maybe send a personal note from Pele to you. Until next time. Enjoy this episode with Mary Steele. Okay. Mary. Hello. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, Andrew. I'm so excited to talk to you. You and I did something that I don't normally do with, um, I guess, with anybody, but certainly not strangers from the internet. You and I had a pre-interview interview, and it's uh, ambitious to call this an interview, pre-chat chat. <laughs> and uh, since then, I couldn't wait to do this again because um, you've presented something to me that's unique in the world. Uh, your actual person is more interesting than your social media person. Yes, it's a win. Yeah, I, I found you kind of compelling and I uh, liked your music and your style on Instagram, which is a sentence I regret saying as soon as it came out of my mouth, but <laughs> I've already committed. But uh, I was like, okay, I'll reach out to this this person. And I'm so delighted to find out that you're even more interesting in person. So thanks for um, thanks for being that. I, it's great. My pleasure. <laughs> Uh, thank you. I'm excited too. Um, I loved our pre-interview. Uh, I want to, uh, there's like a ton of shit, a ton of shit that I want to talk to you about. Not the least of which is music. Uh, a thing that I find mysterious, right? Is not, is music not just like one of the strangest things 
we have to share as human beings? Do you? I guess I've never thought of it that way because it's so it's such a huge part of my life. Right. But yeah, what a what a weird thing to do to go and make sounds to try to get people's attention yeah. and convey some ideas. I've got this weird. Yeah, I'm almost. I'm sorry to start off this way, but I have to. I've got this weird theory that like um, and I, it kind of came to me in a dream that like the microbes in everybody's body, like your you know your gut microbiome, that's how it communicates yeah. with other people's gut biomes is through music. Oh, I like that idea. How do you remember the first time you heard music? Hmm. I've never thought about it. Um, I'd say like some of my earliest memories of music are probably like my my mom and dad singing train songs to me. My mom used to sing me like songs that are about trains. Awesome. Um, like Hank Snow train songs or like little kid train songs. Mm, the only one that it's that's coming to mind right now. Um, I guess was written by a former enslaved person or maybe like a like a, a young girl who got out. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. It's been a while since I heard the story, but it's it goes like freight train, freight train, come around the bend. You know that one? I don't remember the lyrics, but yeah, I know the. Me neither. Yeah. I just, I just heard. <laughs> it's been a while song. since I heard the train songs. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah. All right, so you went from being really little, not having any like cultural imprint on you yet. You know, like we do now, where we take it for granted. But you felt something when you heard that music, right? It made you. It gave you some sort of emotional thing. I mean, I think when I think of my mom singing to me, I I have sort of warm, fuzzy in the womb kind of feelings, right? Feelings of safety and comfort. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My parents always played music when I was growing up. We had, they had records and my dad, they, we didn't have that much money, but my, my folks always made sure to, they invested in really good hi-fi equipment because it was really important to them to have good sound. My dad in, in particular, I think my, it was more my dad than my mom. That's a pretty good value. What a sweet family value to have. Like, Hey, we're, we might be eating some old chicken, but by God, we're going to listen to some good tunes. That's right. I think it's one of the reasons I like female singers so much. My mom would play piano and sing, and she was always practicing for like choir. She was Catholic. Uh -huh. So it was like this super dour, like observably sad. But I mean, the first time I heard it, I didn't know it was supposed to be sad. I just, I just remember I was sitting down and like playing, and uh, all of a sudden, like the soundtrack to my play was my mom's dour piano playing and it just it made everything sad the whole thing that i was doing suddenly the little characters in my hands were sad oh <laughs> it made me think that maybe there's something uh like fundamental you know how like uh there, there, there's a theory that maybe consciousness is a fundamental thing of like a fundamental property of uh, existence and that it may be in everything and maybe there's like something fundamental happening in music like the understanding and the way it tweaks 
our our knobs and makes us feel things. Do you mean then that like if plants are conscious in this theory that like plants think that the same stuff sounds sad that we do? Is that what you're getting at? Or maybe or maybe they're experiencing something that's different than sadness. Maybe that there's something, you know, it, it like they're glad we're bummed out. Like that's good news to them. These <laughs> trampling seed spreading fuckers that are just blanching us. Good. I'm glad you're sad. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, it's a man. I hope, I hope plants don't hate us that much. Yeah, I, I would if I were them. I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not hate. Who knows what it is? Who knows? That's the beautiful thing. And that's why uh, we can write weird songs and communicate all the things we have to communicate. Sorry to begin with such a weird tangent. I do want to talk to you about music, specifically your, your family, because it seems like you've got a family tradition of music other than just the hi fi. Like there's, actual musicians in your family playing and teaching you and influencing you as a kid, right? Yeah. Um, my dad is kind of the only musician in my family that I like really interacted with. Um, but he's a self-taught guitar player. Um, he's wonderful, by the way. He's a really, really talented and like thoughtful player. He's really sensitive, right? I, I think I, I learned a lot about sensitivity and emotive playing from my dad. Um, he thinks about that stuff a lot. Um, but there is also like just musical talent through the family, right? So like my dad's not the only one of his brothers who picks up a guitar from time to time kind of thing, right? Um, there's not really, nobody in my dad's side of the family really like went for music. It's sort of more like a like a retirement hobby or something that you do kind of on the side. Um, and it was, I guess it sort of occupied a similar place on my mom's, I'm going to take that back actually. On my mom's side of the family, um, it was central to sort of the social life of the family, but it wasn't music so much as actually just performing in general. So my grandmother on my mom's side had I don't I five or six brothers, I guess, maybe more. I'm not exactly sure. I don't some of them are um some of them died before I was born. Um, but there were a lot of them. Um, and they mostly lived in the same area. And there was like a family like band. They were kind of associated with like a social club and like everybody wanted to see the the Ryan family, you know, circus basically do their thing. Right. My one uncle was a was a professional diver. He was like a stunt diver for a while. And uh, my other uncle, I think kind of like almost he almost made music a career. Uh, my uncle Steve, my mom's brother, he's actually the guy whose strat this is. Oh, nice. um, he sold it. He sold it to my dad in the. 2000s maybe for 300 bucks or something like that so um so i think i'm the i think i'm kind of the first um of my generation on either side of my family to um to make music sort of central to my life um but like my cousins all play piano you know because they took lessons and like my one cousin took classical guitar my other cousins a couple of my cousins on my mom's side have beautiful singing voices but they chose volleyball over um, over choir and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, it's all around me. It's always been all around yeah. me and it's also always really been inside me. And so has the drive to, to do good at it. Yeah. Um, my, my mom has this anecdote that she likes to tell where she's sort of like in the kitchen and I'm by myself in my room and she hears me sort of plunking out jingle bells. And I get the first like ding, 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 ding. And then I try it a couple more times. And then it's quiet for a while. And so my mom comes into my room and I'm lying on my back on the floor with my arms spread out and my legs spread out. She goes, what's wrong? And I go, I can't do it. 
So I've always wanted to not only make music, but like be good at right. it. I don't want to do it if I'm no good. Yeah. Well, wh- where'd you grow up? Are you from Ohio? I'm from Toronto, so, Ontario originally. Okay. I thought I heard you say mom. It's like, wait, that's not mm-hmm. an Ohio thing. All right. It's not. Yeah. What were you listening to? Alanis Morissette. <laughs> I mean, like, what was your family? Mariah Carey. What was your family listening to? What was like oh. the music in your house? Oh, growing up? Yeah. Oh, um, my dad is a huge Beatles fan, huge John Prime fan. Um, we listened to a lot of classical music, actually. Um, let me see. There's this record that I actually put on all the time. It just feels like dinner party music to me. Um, but it was recorded here in Columbus. Uh, it's called English Lute Duets. It's by Jacob Lindbergh and Paul Odette. Um, that one's like a, a core that's a core record for me. I own it on vinyl and I'll, I'll, I, I nerd out on it. I don't think my friends like it very much, but it's just sort of like really peaceful um, lute duets. And it was recorded in a space in, in a church um, that has just like the most beautiful acoustics. Wow. Lute duets. Yeah. Um, my folks like Celtic music, really, a, really all kinds of stuff, right? Like um, sort of later Joni Mitchell, late, mm-hmm. late 80s, early 90s, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, the band, you know, all the classic sort of Canadian mm-hmm. Like every Canadian that was at Woodstock, yeah. um, little bit Gord Lightfoot, a um, little bit some Mahler. Uh, yeah, lo- lots of like 70s rock, yeah. not really any jazz, not very much soul. Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, With the Irish in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, tragically hip tragically hip yeah no 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 my dad's not in a heavy metal no No, rush isn't heavy metal right they're they're like prog rock (laughs) i think there i think that like there's enough overlap that for my (laughs) dad's purposes it's just yeah yeah he's not he he likes like he likes sort of um like nerdy psych rock like pink floyd Mm -hmm. um uh jethro tall Mm -hmm. Um, and crimson he likes the stuff that's like more sort of like i think academic minded my folks are both academics oh, cool. what are they what are they teaching uh well they they're, they actually never uh they didn't follow through um i like them even more but my yeah yeah me too um <laughs> uh so my dad is a philosopher of theology he has his master's in that um, and my mom is all but dissertation in medieval literature, specifically wow. Chaucer. Bam. And okay. So then how did you end up in Ohio with these, uh, these very dynamic, super interesting people? Did they come with you? Are they down there or? Yeah, okay. they're the, they're the reason we moved. Okay. Um, so my dad drove bus, um, for most of my young childhood and my mom worked in like civil service. So she worked at like city hall and uh, she worked for the parks department up until we moved. Um, and my dad went back to school. There wasn't a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of things you can do with a philosophy of theology degree, except for teach it. Um, and he didn't go down that path. Uh, I think I imagine just maybe because money or I don't know, maybe he lost interest. Um, he didn't lose interest. We definitely still talk all the yeah. time about that stuff. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, I never asked him. I'm going to ask him. Well, look, driving around is one of the best things you can do with a philosophically minded type of personality. That's a fact. It's the best, especially a, a bus full of little fuckers. <laughs> well, he actually drove city bus. City bus. Oh, big fuckers. Yeah. Yep. Big fuckers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think he did, well, it's, it's not Greyhound in Canada, it's Grey Coach. Great but coach. Okay. Yeah, he drove charter bus for a while nice. too. Um, yeah. 
Man, I'm- and then my and my mom worked for civil service. And my dad, I think, I think maybe just the money wasn't going to be good enough, and he wasn't making enough money or moving around enough or whatever. There wasn't enough mobility in bus driving or flexibility. So he went back to school and he got certified in database, like backend type, um, like database tuning, I think, programming and tuning. Um, and he ended up working in tech. And then apparently during the dot-com boom, there were no jobs for what he did in Canada anywhere that we could wow. find where we wanted to live. Uh, and so they moved us down here because the job opportunities were just more plentiful. Yeah. Um, and as with so many people who moved to Columbus, Ohio, we got sucked in and now we're stuck here. (laughs) (laughs) What am I missing? Like, why do I not get Ohio? Uh, well, so I can't speak for all of Ohio because I don't, I don't live there. I live in central Ohio. I live in Columbus. Um, I would say the thing that really keeps people in Ohio besides family is just affordability. Like the ratio of like how of like the culture that is available in Columbus to like how cheap it is has been pretty, it's been pretty good for a while. Um, that's changing in the last, well, I don't know, five or 10 years, I guess. Like we've seen the same kind of increase in rent, increase in cost of living and like quote unquote right, inflation right. Um, affecting how accessible Columbus is. So people are moving sort of like further out mm-hmm. a little bit into the suburbs. Um, I'm lucky that I have a place right in the middle of town nice. and I love it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Columbus, like if you got it on the ground floor is very, very comfortable. Um, and there's enough going on here that it's not that it's not that boring, you know, like there's stuff to do. I can find stuff to do. <laughs> I, I have a good time all the time. Yeah. Um, and I can't speak for anybody else, but for me personally, the people that I have in my community here are the reason that I'm in Columbus. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that that'll do. I have no community here. Well, I shouldn't say no. Very little community here. Not a particularly community-minded kind of place. Oh, no? Maybe I'm not a community-minded person. That's probably more accurate. Let me amend all that. It's not them. It's me. You did kind of say you don't get out a whole lot. I don't get out. I don't get out. No. So I I really can't blame the place where I live. And the place where I live encourages a lot of solitude because it's like you go hiking or you get on a bicycle or you go, you know, you get in the water. Maybe those are just the activities I like to do. I think I have a problem. Let's talk about it, Mary. Let's let's talk about my problems. I I feel like your problem is uh, you think you have a problem when you don't. Let's not talk about my problems. <laughs> let's move on entirely and talk about music, which is not a problem. I'm such a huge fan of just the thing in general, but specifically yours. I think you're great. Thank you. And it's funny, and you talking about your family and your parents, like I'm every little thing you're saying is like one more clue to why I think why you kind of produce the stuff that you do. I mean, like just your musical influences, your parents, like academic sort of smarty pants, philosophical stuff trickling down. And uh, your music is, in spite of the fact that there wasn't any jazz and soul in your house, uh, your music does have like elements of jazz and elements of like this sort of dreamy, what did you call it? Like weird adjacent Ohio pop. What would you call it? Oh, um, yeah, what do I say? Uh, you had like a clever phrase that you you referred to your music as being like dreamy Ohio pop. Oh yeah, weird adjacent moody Ohio twang. Was close. Yeah. Was close. Yeah. <laughs> but that what you make is is kind of um it's dreamy. It's got a dreaminess to it and a thoughtfulness to it and a sensitivity that um I mean it's 
you can see for sure influence, but it is obviously your voice. It's your your presentation and your guitar playing is great. Like so, I'm I'm kind of curious oh. where you said your dad was self taught. Are you also self taught, or did you take some classes? So um, I studied piano um, as a kid. Like I started playing when I was really little, um, and then like I took some lessons. I wasn't like real serious about like learning the repertoire and like graduating and stuff like that. I was more just like in it because I like to play. Um, and I kind of got a little bit turned off to it once that started becoming a component of it, but like, I still followed through for a while. Um, and I picked up violin when I was nine and immediately knew how to play it. It was crazy. Um, cause people had told me they were like, violin's a really hard instrument to play. Like my whole life people were saying, that's a really hard one. Um, and at, at nine, I was just like, this doesn't seem that hard. <laughs> um, so I had the advantage of, of having a little bit of formal training on piano, um, and also just like a natural knack for violin, um, which I think probably comes from just like having watched my dad play guitar for years. Right. Um, yeah, I, I've, I'm finding as I sort of become more aware of like how I learn stuff, um, I really watch people for a long time before I kind of try myself. Like it takes me a while to sort of build up the confidence, but like I do a lot of visualizing and once I like once I feel like I've absorbed enough, like I feel like I can do a pretty decent job out the gate. Playing fiddle or classical? No, I I never played. I never did any study in fiddle. I was all playing classical. Um, yeah, I started in like the school orchestra, um, and then I got a I got a private teacher when I moved to Columbus because, um, well, frankly, uh, my school didn't really have an orchestra. There were like four kids and a very disengaged conductor. I don't know babysitter. It was. I was, I was like pissed. I was pissed when I moved here about it. I was like personally offended because uh, yeah. <laughs> I came from a school that had like an orchestra. Like there were like 60 kids in my orchestra, oh. you know, and like they had instruments for everybody. Um, and like the, con the conductor instructor was just like, so, um, he, he was an old guy and he'd like been doing it forever. And he was like really engaged, you know, and like really, um, he was like, was good at it. And like, he liked kids, you know, and like, he kind of had the look, he was like a little short and stout and he had gray hair and kind of a beard, yeah, you know, yeah. like he had a look going on, like he was the whole package. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved here and like, they just threw me in a room with somebody who like, didn't know shit. Mm. I, you know, I could have, I could have run that class better than her. So I was really, really mad um, and sad when I came here. And so the only way I could kind of keep playing violin is to get private tutoring and then I went to a high school that was arts um, focused. I got cool. into a lottery school. Thank God. Um, lottery school. Yeah. Do you know about that? I don't know about that. Yeah. So in Columbus, there are schools that are local to your neighborhood, but then there are like um, these special schools that you can apply to go to. Oh yeah. And yeah. students are selected by lottery. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Gotcha. So it's a, it's a publicly run school that's like sort of selective kind of and special that makes so much more sense than what i had floating in my head when you said lottery school <laughs> please continue oh no worries um yeah so i went to a high school where there were other musicians there and the music teacher did know stuff and mm -hmm. did care um but uh it wasn't very like it wasn't very long until i kind of exhausted what was available there because like all the all the people who were interested in music kind of graduated out in orchestra. So like by my junior year, I was once again, like yards ahead of the, my peer, you know, my peers in my class, my classmates. Right. 
Um, so I did private study. I didn't really like it. Um, <laughs> I didn't really like my, my violin teacher very much. Uh, she made fun of me when she found out that I got a prom date. She was an asshole. <laughs> you got a what? A prom date? A prom date. Yeah, I told her I was going to prom and she laughed at me. For having a prom date? She's like, you? Wow. Can we take you to prom? What the hell? Yeah, she was an asshole. If you're listening to this, that was really rude. Yeah, what a dickhead. Yeah. Wow. Okay. If you wonder why I stopped coming to your classes and I made it really hard for you to schedule around me, it was because you were an asshole to me. Yeah. All right. So you've got this dreamy thing in your life. The violin, classical music is like inherently kind of dreamy, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And so that that explains maybe some of the ambient aesthetic of your music, you know, maybe, maybe not. But then so wait, how did the guitar playing? Was it this this dickish lady? You couldn't take it anymore. So you're like, I'm going to learn something else. No, I just became a teenager and I got interested in like playing in a band, I guess. Um, I didn't want to play guitar yet. I don't know why I wait. I like I just didn't want I just wasn't ready for guitar. You know, maybe again, I just I was like, I'm not ready. I don't think I'm going to be good at it yet. So I'm just going to wait until I think I might be good at it. Hmm. Um, But I picked up bass. Uh, My dad got me this pretty cool sounding but like very funny looking ovation five string acoustic electric bass are very funny the most versatile bass a 14 year old ever had you know what i mean (laughs) ovation they only make funny looking shit that's like their brand it's yeah and they're super 90s too it's just like very of the moment Uh yeah I i love that thing it was kind of i think it was i think it was green Whoa. i think it was like a green stain yeah nice. i had an ovation yeah. uh that was signed by glenn campbell and i got it at a pawn shop glenn campbell's like one of the greatest uh like session players and then ended up having kind of a, a great career um really really amazing guitar player and I, I got it at a pawn shop i was so thrilled with it because like you a lot of the people at the pawn shops in memphis weren't hip on glenn, glenn campbell like holy shit this is great and it got stolen Totally got stolen. Oh, yeah. It's very where from where? Oh, it's a long ass story. My house. Yeah. Oh, um, oh. Anyway, hate that. Yeah, you know, it's uh, being involuntarily liberated of your possessions is actually turns out to be very good for you, but it sucks in the moment. I found that when uh, that happened to me, I had this, uh, I had this Fender Hot Rod Deville nice. amplifier. Mm-hmm. Do you know the Deville? Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. Right. It's it sounds awesome. But it's so huge and heavy. And there was this one week, tubes and like the box, because it's so big, right? In order to hold those two big speakers, you got, or four, if you've got a fucking four, I don't know who does that. Um, But if you've got those two big speakers in there, they have to have a chassis hard enough, a heavy duty enough to like support them. Mm -hmm. So like the case itself weighs like almost half. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it weighs that the amp weighed like 75 pounds. And I weigh I'm 120 pounds soaking wet. You know, like that's a big, it's ask. A big amp. Yeah, that's a- so I'm carrying this amp around, and like there's this one week when I have a show and I'm just like tired and kind of frustrated, and I just like don't want to bring it in, and maybe the weather's bad or whatever on like the night that I get back. And so I leave it in the car. And then I just leave it in the car night after night after night for like nine or ten nights straight. Ooh. Yeah, I shouldn't have done this. And I knew I shouldn't have done it when I did it. But I did it anyway. 
And I'm like, you know, my clicker seems to be working just fine until one morning I get up and I go outside and I get in my car to go somewhere and I notice the glove box is open mm -hmm. and the console is ajar. And I'm like, oh, shit, it finally it happened, didn't me. it? Yeah, they got me and a bunch of my pedals and cables Ooh. and stuff with it. Like, yeah, I really. Yeah. But the thing is, I had wanted to downsize my amp for like six years. And I think part of me wanted it to get stolen. So I had to do something different. I know how crazy that sounds like. Well, that's good. It's good that you know. Because it does sound a little crazy. Yeah, it really, it was a very, it was a very expensive lesson to learn. Because like, ultimately, I'm out $1,400, right? Like in terms of like, what that amp cost, and then what my new amp ended up costing me. But, but, you know, it just forced me to do a thing that was right. better. Yeah, that's what I mean. Being yeah. involuntarily or semi involuntarily liberated of your possessions is kind of good for you. It, yeah, it certainly, um, requires a response yeah it does <laughs>
for a while. And then I got interested in boys. Um, and I was still doing music, but like, uh, I think I mentioned like the, the sort of the, the kids who were like talented and engaged in music graduated out and like, didn't really get replaced. And so I kind of didn't have peers the last couple of years of high school, um, in orchestra. So I played percussion and band. Um, I played in orchestra too. Um, but then I eventually joined choir, um, which was really cool because my junior year of high school, I got to sing at Carnegie hall. No way. Yeah. That was really, wow. that was a peak. It was an early peak. Um, yeah, good one. yeah, but my band director didn't like that. And so we went from being friends to being enemies and, uh, yeah, I had a lot of shitty teacher experiences actually when I moved to Ohio, um, particularly like in it. music. Yeah. I'm gonna cry about it. Maybe. God, goddamn Ohioans dragging these sweet Canadians through the mud. What the hell? Dude, it's yeah. It, I'm still sad that that's how that went down. I was like a teenage it. kid and that guy was like in his forties and he just projected all this weird shit onto me and like also, Ooh. and also onto his, his colleagues. Like he was in competition. He acted, he behaved as though he was in like sort of rabid competition for resources and just like satisfaction with the choir oh teacher God. who like the choir was incredible at Fort Hayes. It was amazing. Um, we, we, we sang at Carnegie Hall, you know, like it was real yeah, shit. Sounds great. It was real shit. Um, one of the kids from that graduating class went to Juilliard for voice. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was real shit. And I think he was really jealous. Um, and I don't think he handled it well. And he had sort of, uh, not like, not sexually inappropriate, but like, I think emotionally inappropriate um, relationships with some of his students um, yeah. and like kind of, I don't know, he was, he really liked Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> um, and he would talk, you know, he wasn't like weird about it, but he was just weird to us because like his ideas yeah. of power dynamics were fucked up, you know? Sounds like it. Yeah, he did weird. Like he, he did weird shit to me. He like sent me to peak on a day I actually had an excuse for skipping out on orchestra, <laughs> which I've been doing like the whole year. It's the only time I ever had. Do you know what peak is? Peak is just like date, like a whole day of detention. Like you just go to detention while you're at school. What? Yeah, I like I skipped I skipped orchestra to you know do do whatever, you know, because like, well, because it wasn't doing anything for me. You know, like that's that's my attitude about a lot of shit. It's just like if I'm not getting something yeah. out of this, why am I wasting my time with it? That's why I stopped. I went sure. from an A student to a fucking D student when I moved from Toronto to Columbus because I went from getting an education to being told what to think and actually not mm. even being told what to think, being like told what to memorize. It's not even as interesting as propaganda. Right. It's just like right. soulless. Like my English class, my first English class in seventh grade, um, granted, it was like kind of near. It was like may <laughs> it was may it was kind of near the end of the school year i guess but like class was just she was reading to us from the assigned reading because nobody read the book oh damn yeah yeah that ain't that ain't fun no it sucked it sucked it broke my heart soulless yeah it, yeah. it really broke my heart and like anyway i f i forget why I, uh, how i quite landed there but i just had bad teacher well, experiences and yeah yeah that's a, I mean, oh yeah, I don't do, I don't do it, shit that like, I just, if it's, it's not, not you. yeah, if it's not serving me, why, why would I put any sure. energy towards anything that's not serving me? A question that right. will haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. 
we're haunt, work, I mean, you know, we're working on haunt, it. Haunt is a good word, I guess, but it's also like that is serving. It's a good question. It's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. So let it, you know, let that ring out in your ears. Okay. So you're, you're dissatisfied. You're getting restless. That's a good thing that'll lead, that'll always lead somebody to guitar, you know, being a little restless and a little, uh, under served i guess yeah i wanted to be in you, a band so bad yeah you wanted camaraderie you wanted peers people who were in a, into the same stuff you were yeah so and you weren't finding that necessarily with the violin or the percussion no no i mean percussion was kind of fun because there was like a team there's like a little bit of a team aspect mm-hmm. and i will say two of the baddest motherfuckers on the drum line were cousins at my high school and so i got to play in band every single day with those guys and that was great nice aaron and lamar aaron and lamar if you're listening i still think about y'all nice nice yeah yeah you know high school marching bands i didn't quite appreciate it until i moved to new orleans Mm -hmm. and go into parades and like that was my favorite part of the parades is when these marching bands would come by you know they're marching for miles and miles and terrible weather and all kinds of shit and like you'd always try to position yourself where you're under like an overpass and then just the bar- marching band would always stop there because they sound real good they're even bigger oh yeah and they can kind of hear themselves come back a little you know mm-hmm. it's like having monitor speakers and like it would just be this full crazy sound and like the drum line and everything was just it was my by far my favorite part yeah of the, of the parade yeah so i good on you. i man i love marching band we didn't we didn't march fort hayes didn't have any sports we were arts and academics and right. no sports. So no marching. So it was a sit-down. It was a sit-down affair. Yeah. 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 Conducting was also a sit-down affair. Yeah. Too back to back, man. That's, maybe that's mean. Great to see maybe that was mean to say. <laughs> marching symphony. We should start a marching symphony. Yeah. Um, I think Woody Allen tried that. Um, well, <laughs> Sounds he like played cello in the marching band. What movie is that? Sit down. He had a chair with him. He'd sit down. He'd play a few bars, and then he'd get up and run. And run he'd, up, boom. yeah. Let's <laughs> chill with marching band. Ugh. Okay, so you're never going to tell me about this guitar. Oh, how are you so good at guitar? Why are you? What did you do? Oh, what did I do? I mean, I tried to be in a band. Um, mm-hmm. What did I do? I don't really, man. I don't know. I like asked my dad to teach me some chords, and he did. And I kind of like played around. I plunked around a little bit. I was more into sort of piano and voice because I was. I've been singing and playing piano together for ever. Mm-hmm. Like since I realized I could do that, I did it. Guitar didn't start to feature for a long time, really. My dad bought me this Les Paul. He bought me the Strat, and he bought me the Les Paul. Um. Oh man, my high school boyfriend ruined that Christmas surprise. By the way. He oh. he went into the guest room and he was snooping around and found it. You no, know, he was looking for a different thing. My dad was like, it's under the bed. And he saw it and he comes out and he's like, Rick, when did you get a Les Paul? Oh, <laughs> Fuck. Merry Christmas Oops. to me. That's pretty sweet, though. I mean, of all things to get like ruined, mm. it's pretty great that at the end of it, there's a Les Paul. That's true. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. It could be, be like, oh, hey, Rick, when did you get absolutely jack shit for your daughter for Christmas? Dude. <laughs> That's worse. I'd I'd say it. Yeah, I'd say it could be worse. But actually, like having a surprise ruined, it's hard to surprise me. And so um, uh-huh. when somebody ruins a surprise, it hurts extra. <laughs> I love being surprised. I love it more than getting presents. I really do. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I'm a huge control freak. <laughs> oh, so yeah. 
to be delighted by a surprise? Yeah. Even even kind of even kind of when it's a bad surprise, I kind of like that too. I don't prefer that like to a- gifts, but <laughs> maybe I prefer a bad surprise to a bad gift. I guess it depends on the type of surprise. Or the type of gift. Mm. A lot of conditions apply. Note to anyone listening. Yeah. I'm not talking about like a life altering surprise. It's just like, you know, like a trivial surprise. It's something to re- it's something to react to. You're even controlling the surprise. Do you you, you realize you're doing that right now? <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I'm not trying to say if I found out I had three weeks to live, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Wait, wait a, <laughs> disrupt my dynamic. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyway, so guitar. Yeah, um, I had this less, this less Paul. Um, I don't know. Like I started playing in bands. Man, I wish I could remember the name of this band. It was like a huge sort of post-rock band. Phil Cogley and uh, Mike Poston were in it. Um, Those are friends of mine now still. They kind of brought me in for a couple practices and we just like jammed a little bit and I was very, very nervous uh, and I didn't know what to do. Um, Oh, I met another violin player, my friend Aaron. My friend Aaron Sturgill um, also played guitar and bass and every he just plays everything and sings and writes and plays in bands and stuff. And like we collaborated a little bit, you know, here and there. Like I jammed with my boyfriend's band once or twice, you know, and a friend of mine, Carlos, found out about me and he invited me to join his band Flotation Walls. And so I was in it was in that band that I really cut my teeth. And he was just like, oh, you play guitar. Oh, you play keys. Oh, you play violin. Oh, you sing. Yeah. Why don't you do that here? And it was different. It was different. That was, that was my first like feeling of real musical, like community. Yeah. Creative collaboration and mutual respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nice. Yeah. It was really, it was really nice. That kind of went away. Um, But then later he came back and he was like, "Um, I'm putting this band back together. I would like for you to be in it if you want. Um, And then we put out a record and quit our jobs and went on tour for a year and made, we didn't make negative money. We, we did finish in the black. We made like 12 bucks, nice. I think in, well done. in a well year done. of, in a year of touring, but we had yeah. an amazing time. Um, mm-hmm. We were just kind of fucking around, but like really trying to, we really believed in what we were making though. And you, were you writing a lot of the tunes? No. For the band? No, you're playing other people's tunes. Uh, yeah, so, I I didn't write a song until 2018. Okay. Yeah. You'd written lyrics before, but not not full songs like where you wrote the whole thing. I guess I did. Like, I wasn't confident enough to be like, I'm going to write all the lyrics to this song. But we collaborated, you know, like we trade off verses and stuff like that. So that was probably like my first like songwriting experience. Um, but th- those were that band's songs right right right, you know and like that was really the only songwriting i'd ever done i'd done lots of part writing harm you know harmony and arranging and stuff like that but sure sure. yeah and so you you detoured from that and uh you had a professional career yeah it was very different and that uh do you feel like going into that right now do you want to tell me about we don't have to necessarily tell me the whole story of your of your professional life but you did take you went into tech like your dad, right? Yeah, I did. Like both my parents, kind of. Um, yeah. Yeah. My mom ended up doing um, like project management in tech. Mm-hmm. Not to get too deep into it. Um, the person that I was with for the bulk of my 20s was very um, 
sort of career and setup oriented, um, very, very brilliant, very compelling thinker. Like intellectually, it was so much, so, so, so much fun. It still is so much fun to hang out with Mick and talk to Mick and like his, he's like, he can grapple with big ideas and like make them seem so like accessible and within reach. It is an amazing nice. talent that he has. Um, and so like at the time he was really into like, how am I going to make money? I want to have a lot of money. How am I going to do it? Right. So he was like, I'm going to start doing front end development. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a flash developer. And so he's starting messing with this stuff and he's like, I'm making these games, but they don't really look like much. And like, Ryan, you can kind of draw. Have you tried Photoshop here? Buy a Mac. Um, and so suddenly I was a, I, I had a UX career. Um, I freelanced for 10 years, I think, before I started working. Uh, I took a full-time job. I won't mention where, uh, but I did it against my better judgment. Um, I really didn't want to, but I also didn't really want to find UX work. Now, you got, I, I know I live in the Bay Area, but I don't know what UX is. You don't know what UX is and you live in the Bay Area? don't know what it is. Oh, uh, user experience, user experience design. Um, it's some called EX. Sometimes it's called customer experience, depending on kind of where you go. But usually it's UX. UX. Okay. Learn something new every day. Yes. Um, or something evidently kind of old that I should have known, but I didn't. <laughs> well, here we are. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, I designed software, right? Yeah. I help people uh, figure out how to get people to do things. In software. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And not not as fulfilling, but... Well, so when I started doing UX, I kind of didn't have any direction. I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't really know or, you know, I just kind of wanted to hang out and like have a good time and play in my band. You know, I wanted to play in my band. And also, so my dad has always said to me, he was like, you know, just have a job that will let you do the things that you want to do when you're not at your job. And freelancing UX let me do that, right? It let me do that. So where I kind of ended up, I was like in, um, I was kind of in friction between like touring with the band, which makes no money, costs a lot of time. Like prospects are, are weird and not very good, right? Like, um, and meantime, Mick is like paying all our bills basically, right? Like he just supported me while I did that, which thank you again very much, Mick, for doing that. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but eventually I sort of started to feel like I, you know, I didn't know where it was going and, you know, I just kind of needed it to be more practical. And um, we kind of just had like creative differences about that. You know, we had differences of opinion about how things should run. And like, also if I had, know myself better you know I was 23 but if I'd know myself better I might have been able to actually sort of say what I really needed which was like to to really understand what it is that we're doing here so that I can like make some money at it you know I think that's really what I needed but like I didn't know how to ask for that really um so I had to quit the band um so that I could focus on my career um yeah I fucked around a lot in the early years of that relationship. But I don't know, the UX work started coming in. And I mean, Mick always, he was such a good networker. Um, he actually huddled against me in a fight once that um, that I, like, <laughs> I was, he always got me all the work that I had. 
Um, yeah, which kind of like, I think actually kept me, it, it kept me scared enough that I stayed in that relationship longer than I, I meant to because I kind of, it kind of undercut my confidence that I could actually like make it on my own. But I did. Uh, I did. did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, you know, UX was there. But then I took this, this full-time job and I was like, it, I was also going through another, a breakup with a later partner, the next partner at the time. Right. And it was actually really, um, that was really, really hard. Um, it was not a healthy relationship. And um, I was in a really rough place. So the stability of that job was really great. And I also had a really great boss who I loved and who was very understanding and like the leadership at the, at the company I was working at, um, like kind of really did put its money where its mouth was um, about the, like, this is a family and like, we value you and your time and your health, right? Like um, it used to feel like that. Uh, and then that boss got fired. Oh, damn it. Yeah. That boss got fired and uh, they didn't really, man, she, we taught, we debriefed like right after um, a bunch of us met her in the parking lot. Um, and she was like, they didn't even, I worked there for 11 years and they didn't even show any emotion. They were just cold and they just said it. And then they said, and they said, give me your badge and collect your stuff. Right. Like, um, and so, and so I knew that going into the, the, you know, sort of the PR damage control, whatever of, um, what came after and it completely shattered my trust in the institution. And then like over a course of another four years, um, it just got worse and worse. Cause I was also like on a dysfunctional team or a dysfunctional project or whatever. Um, and I was kind of set and forgotten. Uh, Yeah. I feel like I started out so much more optimistic about what UX could do. Uh, but my experience working full-time at a, at a big company was just like, it was so bad that I developed chronic pain. Uh, it started with, oh. it started as cramps in my feet. Um, and eventually uh, it escalated to a point that my shoulder froze for 10 days straight and I could not really do anything except for lie down and smoke weed and use a TENS unit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I had, a, that was during the first year of COVID. I had a major pain episode that terrified me. Well, yeah. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Sounds horrible. Yeah. And then in the meantime, um, so leaders are resigning from this company because they're like, I got to, they're seeing where their priorities really are and they are, they're, um, walking their talk, right? They're like, I actually, I want to spend more time with my family. I want to focus on my health. I mm -hmm. am seeing how much I've been putting myself through and I have the resources to get out and I'm getting out. Thank you very much. Good luck. Right. I think that happened at a lot of places. And um, my personal opinion on the matter is that uh, the people who came in to replace these people are sharks who never thought we should have shut down in the first place, who have absolutely antisocial ideas about how anything should, everything should be run, um, who have, who have, who almost immediately eroded like all of the goodwill and all of the like real familial feeling I used to feel, you know, like I'm not a joiner. I'm not a joiner. Like the people I worked with genuinely gave a fuck about me, you know? And like, it felt like it, it was all the way up the chain. 
or it felt like it was far enough that we were safe. I mean, it seems like, like, yeah, there was a disillusionment with what you were doing, but there was also a call to what you're doing now. Like a call to music was more so more compelling than the, uh, you know, your disgust with your, your work situation. Am I, am I reading that right? Well, mm, mm, I tried to have it both ways. I tried, I tried to have it both ways. Uh, and I burned myself out doing it. Um, yeah, I was trying like, I mean, so you're right. I skipped over the, I skipped over the important part. The work pain is actually still very, very fresh. Uh, so I might just, I might just end up on that tangent again. Uh, I'm sorry for turning this into my own personal therapy no, session. No, 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 I spent, um, uh, several hours yesterday hanging out with a friend who recently lost a job and I can't tell you how many times he was like, God, I'm sorry. I'm still talking about this. Like, no, 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 no. I get it. Got to get it out in any way you can. Yeah. It's got to get out of you if you, if you're going to move on. So you can talk about your job. It's cool. Cool. Don't don't sweat it. Well, sweat it. I'm certain people listening can identify with and relate to kind of doing something that you'd rather not, or having the pain of like putting in your heart and soul, and what you get back is kind of like a a turd painted a color that they know you like. <laughs> oh, for for us, it was um, it was branded blankets every Christmas. Really nice, oh, nice, fluffy microfiber, but it always it was always the color, the brand colors or the logo. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I just saw you pick up a blanket. You just pick. You're a blanket person. They know. Yeah, they know. yeah. They well, yeah. That's their whole thing. That was that was their whole thing. They're good at their thing. They're really good at it. Well, anyway. But there was something else, though. There was a call to music that you felt more compelled yeah. to follow. Yeah. So so check it out. I mentioned I was like in this breakup that I was getting. I was getting myself out of a situation that was so bad that I had to go on Xanax about it. Um, mm. So I did that. It was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do for myself. Um, and I did it. And... Uh, once sort of the clouds cleared and I sort of got purchase on myself again, um, I started planning a party. I started planning a Halloween party. Um, I kind of spite planned it because he didn't want to do that theme. Um, and so I did that theme and I nailed it. Uh, and I, and I got on Tinder. Uh-oh. I planned a party and I got on Tinder. Yeah. Lord of mercy. Uh-huh. And I, I was great at that too. <laughs> Um, I had a great time. I had a great time honing it up and meeting people and like having conversations and just like, I guess it was kind of the first time that I had ever sort of been a single person in the adult world. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I went from high school boyfriend to college boyfriend to other college boyfriend for seven years to um, toxic situation. And so I got out of toxic situation and I was just like, and actually the way that I got out was um, when I, when it became clear to me that things were really, really bad and I had to end it, I actually got on Tinder before that and I started browsing around and I was like, oh shit, there's options. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. There's, this is not the only cool person in the whole city. I, okay. Okay. I can go. (laughs) Right. Like for me, I have to see the way out. And once I, and like, if I don't see it, I'm panicking. But once I see that there is a way, like I can, I can go, you know? So Tinder was the way out of that relationship for me, weirdly. Um, so anyway, well, yeah. If, if if I could interject, it uh-huh. seems like though, 
I mean, I, I get what you're saying, you seeing options, but the person that you found at the end of it wasn't some other person. It was you, right? I mean, you kind of found yes. like, oh, wait, I, that's this is the person I was looking for the whole time. Mm-hmm. I'm great. I can be with myself. I can, you know, I can pursue music and do this other thing. Yeah, I'm more than enough, man. I'm a handful to myself. Yeah, you know, that's great. Yeah. No, thank you. Yes. Yep. Um, that I mean, that was my that became my mantra or whatever. Right. Like that was my those are my marching orders was like it is mm. time to figure what out what I want, who I am, mm. what I am about, you know. So like I went on I, you know, I use dating as a path to self-discovery um, and it was super fun. Uh, and I learned all kinds of things about my gender and my sexuality Um because also at the same time as this was happening, like the whole world was becoming aware of trans people, uh, which is very cool. So like I got exposed to ideas like uh, gender nonconforming and um, non-binariness and being agender. And, and those ideas started to appeal to me. And like I kind of realized once I, you know, I did a little bit of research and like talked to a couple of people about it. I was like, oh, yeah, all those times I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I wonder when I'm going to be a woman. You know? I was like, oh, maybe it's never, you know? And so I kind of landed in that spot and I'm, I'm chilling there right now still. Yeah, I'm trying so hard to be as much myself as I can. I don't think there's any other way for me. I tried it the other way. I tried other people's expectations. You know, I tried other people's ideas um, and it worked. I was good at it until I realized I wanted something for myself. But then I tried to do both. I tried to please everybody and please myself that's a full-time job it's too many full-time jobs my body literally shut down because of it right like i thought i thought i was like gonna get ms you know like i thought i was just like on a path to just like becoming locked into my body Mm -hmm. you know i've seen that happen with people i I used to do uh, massage therapy and you would see like these um physiological things present from uh you know psychological stress Yes, it did. It does. For me, it's anxiety and tension and coldness, hence the blanket. Mm. Um, yeah, I have I have no hardly any. Maybe I I venture to say I have no anxiety since I have officially left my other career and chosen to focus on this thing full time. And I was feeling I was doing pretty good before that too. Yeah. I mean it- at this point, I'm kind of dying to hear a song from you. Okay. How do you feel? Are you, have you got anything that you're feeling compelled to, yeah. to share? Yeah. Um, yes. I'm going to do a new, I'm going to do one of my newer songs that I wrote. Um, I guess, God, was it before or after? Time is a blur. <laughs> Time is a blur because it was sure. either right before or right after. I think it had to be in the aftermath of my breakdown this past Christmas. Um, and it's, It's about, it's about the job stuff. I want to cut, I want to run. And I want nothing from anyone. Let it lie behind me. The mirage is there to find me. I want to cut, I want to run. What can I do? I'm out of luck. I could use 
some trust, but what can I do? My skin and my bones belong to the dust now. Thanks for that song. I like that. You're definitely uh, processing some emotion in that little ditty. Oh boy. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I am. Now, I know like one of your um, regular live shows called The Sad Hour, which is the thing that actually drew me to check out what you're doing because I like the concept. Oh, good. Oh, thank you. So it's compelling. It's more than just sad that what you do, and what I like about what you do is that it isn't just sad for the sake of like, why don't you count my tears and see how sensitive I am? It's like, hey, you know, do you know what this feels like? You know, it's like almost like a blanket, you know, and in, in, in that like without a logo on it, that is <laughs> to help you feel all right about your own sadness and see it in someone else. And it comes back to you in a way that you can, you can manage. Does that make sense? It's kind of what uh, I got from your song. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what my, yeah, that's exactly what I tried to do with my songs, right? I try to capture feelings and then communicate them in the hopes that somebody else feels them too, right? And like help people feel their own feelings and put words to their own emotions, which I know is not easy for everyone. It comes very easily to me. I I worked very hard to earn that. um, And writing lyrics has been a, a path to that for me as well. 
right? So like, I want to share the the liberation that comes with learning how to talk about what's inside of you, you know, because mm-hmm. like, it's not, we don't really have a lot of places where we can learn that actually music is kind of, kind of the place, you know? Yeah. Where you can be forgiven for being vulnerable. Not just forgiven, but like sexy even, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. That's a huge part of it. Yeah. Look at all the sex appeal my feelings have. Right. And like how important sex appeal is in our species as a thing. Oh, you glitched out. You said sexuality? Our sex appeal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And sexuality, for sure. It's a very, it's an integral part of the ongoing propagation of our species. You got to have it. It's, you know, it's as much a part of, you know, it's why we're here. Yeah. And also it's fun for many of us. It is fun. For many of us. It can be fun. It has so much potential to be the most fun. Yeah, it should be fun, I think. I mean, I don't want to tell anybody out, you know, everybody's got their kink. Maybe a really bad time is somebody's good time, whatever it takes. Oh, sure. But like, I, I definitely feel... That's the the sweet spot of music is that it can convey all that stuff. You yes, know? yes, it can, and it does. I mean, part of the the thing that makes sex appeal so interesting is that it's it is a longing, you know, it's a longing for something, and a lot of times, like these extremely popular, uh, very well known people who are who have a sex appeal, they're an impossible dream. Like I will mm-hmm. never. I will never sleep with uh, uh, Sarah Silverman. It's just not going to happen. It's not in the cards for me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you know, her, the impossibility of her, like, super interesting, beautiful, whatever. It, it's like a, it's a driver. It's like a thing that, you know, um, I mean, it's, I don't just, like, enjoy her comedy because I think she's sexy. But I enjoy her comedy so much that she's even sexier. That makes a sense. Makes sense. Oh, you know she- what I mean? Yeah, I only get crushes on people who I think are doing cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's the it's the ability, right? It's the it's yeah, the it's thing. the mind. It's right. not yeah. But there's something about that the impossible longing that there, there's like a little bit of sadness in there. You know, it's not like I'm bummed out every day that you no know, man, Sarah Silverman's <laughs> never gonna like tell me how she thought my joke was funny. But you know that um, there's that longing for things that you can't have. Yeah, it's the same with the past. You know. The 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 little kid that was you that was bummed out by the lady uh, making fun of her for prom like that mm. that little kid is basically inaccessible you know those that time has passed and the only thing you have left of that is your ideas and the motivations from then and that longing you turn into songs that make people either feel their sadness or forgive themselves for it or whatever I think it's such a it's a it's a rare gift of Maybe it's not that rare. Maybe it's everywhere, but it's a, it's a rare gift to have as a person to be able to share that with other people. Yeah. It feels great. It feels great. I, I joke about, I say it like it's a joke, but I mean it every time that like, if somebody cries at my show, I have done my job, you know, like I want someone to cry, cry at my show. And like, I've, I'm, I'm batting. I don't know what batting good batting numbers are, but I'm batting pretty good. Um, people often tell me that I got them crying and it, it feels right. You know, it feels right. It's what I want. It's what I want. I want to touch people. Yeah. Well, you know, you just mentioned like being sexy, which is a funny thing. Cause you don't often, I don't know that I ever equate sadness and sexiness together, but you definitely have kind of a sexy, not kind of, I mean, you have a very sexy presentation of like, 
I mean, not just yourself, but like the, you know, some of your lyrics under that song wasn't particularly sexual, but like there, there is like a, there's a sexuality to what you're doing. I don't know if it's just like your online thing. Maybe I'm just like conflating Instagram with like what you're trying to do musically and artistically, but where do you see the intersection of sadness and sexuality? Uh, well, I mean, it just sort of comes with the territory of being like a, a tween who watched like MTV and VH1 in the 90s. That's a big part of it, right? Like so many, so many rock stars were so sad, you know, mm. like um, that was just sort of in the air um, when I was growing up. So it's partly just like what, I, you know, the 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 teen culture, I guess, or like music culture I was exposed to at the time, right? Like Smashing Pumpkins is a real sexy looking band. Um, uh, who else is like Kurt Cobain, of course, right? right. He, he didn't even want to be. He was like trying to be the opposite of that. That's what was so good about him, you know? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, like who else was sexy? Everybody was sexy. Cheryl Crow was sexy. Even mm -hmm. Alanis was sexy, yeah, you know? Yeah. And Alanis was also kind of trying not to be sexy. There was just a lot of, I don't know, there were a lot of like sexy, sensey vibes um, that I came up in. And I really like teen drama uh, TV series too. Yeah? Yeah. Like what? Um, like Canadian stuff? Or Canadian stuff and American stuff. Um, yes, I'm a Degrassi fan. Mm -hmm. um that show's not i wouldn't call that show sexy um felicity huge felicity fan tons of sexy drama in that show tons and tons of it it's also very awkward right. um oh shit what else do i like i mean i'm in, i'm watching uh it's not really sad but i'm watching gossip girl um for the first time i've never seen it kind of slowly making my way through it that's yeah, that show's not sad. It's just it's absurd and like kind of gr it's grotesque, but it's also like it's trashy and fun. I like it. I like it. Right. right. Um, Dawson's Creek. I don't know, man. Buffy. But I wonder what is it? Why? Why are sad people? What's sexy about sad people? I'm not I'm not saying that that isn't. I'm just wondering why. Why is that the case? What do you think? Philosophically oh. and psychologically, why is that? I I wouldn't I'm not necessarily trying to make a claim about all sexy people or all sad people being sexy everywhere. Right. Um, yeah, it's not a universal, but like No, I think it's an aesthetic. I think it's an aesthetic that like I am aware of that like a lot of people are aware of and are into. Um but also like because we are so deprived of intimacy in this culture, um I think a lot of people are craving connection and I think if I think like um, writing emotional songs has a way of um, sort of feeling intimate, right? You can you can connect intimately with a person that you've never met, right? And like I think just like there's a there's like a catharsis, and maybe there's like a like a sense of safety or excitement or like whatever it is about like about the the feelings that that thing is making you feel. That's like. You know, like it's going to be different for everybody, but I think it comes right. from just like the connection that you feel, right? Like, and the way that the music moves your body, right? And the things that it makes you think, right? Like sure. everybody gets off on kinds of all kinds of different stuff, you know? And like, for me, I like to date a sad boy. I love yeah. a sad boy so much. A sad boy. Wait, wait, what's a sad boy? Tell me what a sad boy is. Oh my God. I can't tell you what a sad boy is, Andrew. Oh. I, am, I, am I too? I'm too old. I, I think. It, I mean, literally, I just mean like a sad, like a boy that is sad. Just a boy that is. Sad. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's also you know, if you're sort of a, like, familiar with meme culture and sort of the spontaneous generation of uh, just like micro aesthetics, 
a sad, like sad boy is also a thing. Um, yeah, but like, it's also, it's many things. It's one thing in many things. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so why, but why, like, why do you feel compelled specifically? I mean, I guess you kind of already said that why you feel compelled to, to write sad songs, but there's no end game to a sad song. It's like, you're finally going to write your last sad song. And from then on, it's going to be upbeat ones, right? I think, you, I think I could make that choice, but I wouldn't, mm. you know? Do you have it in you to perform like really upbeat stuff like Huey Lewis or um, something? I have some songs that are upbeat. I have some of my own songs that are upbeat, but yeah, I I really I lean towards the stuff that's a little like darker. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about my karaoke songs and like I do like Meatloaf. I do like I do anything for love, but I won't do that. Which is I do. Gonna, that's um, super sad. <laughs> it's all coming back to me yeah, now. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who does Goodbye Horses a lot for karaoke. Do you know that song? Yeah, that's for listeners who don't know. It's the song that's featured in um, a certain scene in Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. um, where Buffalo Bill is dancing in front of a mirror. Um, yeah, yeah, my my friend Max will do that song. But like most of the time when you go to karaoke, it's not like a radio edit of that song. It's like a six minute long version of that song. It's the record version and it's like the extended mix and it's that song is has one verse and one chorus i think it's a really yeah it's very repetitive it's fun it's fun to see happen piece of performance art yeah, yeah. it is that's exactly what it is it's performance I, art i think about like blues music which um which is dumb i don't know why i say blues music like the blues uh-huh like that you know a lot of times they'd be singing about a woman or you know a partner and it wasn't necessarily bad you know it could be there are upbeat blues tunes but the delivery the delivery is sad or is like minor keyed and it has this other quality to it mm-hmm. it doesn't make it so saccharine kind of what you're talking about is just complexity right like at a certain at a certain level it's complexity that like is drawing you to stuff there's like something a little under the hood yeah you know like so a band that like doesn't really exactly write sad songs but i think has something similar going on where like their music sounds really upbeat but like something about it ain't Mm -hmm. steely dan like oh yeah you know what i mean like steely dan is a melancholy band but their music is like so fun and and bouncy you know and like it really takes you on like a an uplifting sounding ride (laughs) no i like that i like that so i'll shift gears i feel like i'm trying to draw blood from a turnip with trying to understand why sad stuff is so compelling i think we know you know on some level we just kind of know because we're all sad and like it's hard to talk about and it's hard to feel right that's why i have sad hour i have sad hour because like we're not, we're not supposed to be sad we're supposed to be chill and happy and upbeat and productive and professional you know like we're not supposed to be sad and like being sad is really inconvenient and it can also be so overwhelming that like you get embarrassed about it right like but everybody i know is fucking sad everybody i know is sad you know, which is so crazy. Like I'm the least sad person I know. And I'm so sad. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we have to express it. And like, it's in everything anyway, you know, like it might as well be in a pop song. I think that like the world puts all kinds of pressures on us. Right. And it makes sense that like, sometimes you would feel like overcome by a feeling, right. It happens to all of us. And like, I think more often than not, when people are overcome with feelings, they repress them instead of expressing them, right? So, like, in a you know, I think in a certain sense, like, it's 
it makes sense that sadness feels comforting when we're constantly asked not to express mm. it. Right. I think that's part, that's part of it. Right. It's like, you know, nobody else knows about this maybe, but like, at least I have this. Right. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things where you don't want to, uh, it's the extent to which you make your problems someone else's. And what I like about what you're doing with your mm -hmm. sadness is you're not making anyone else's problem. You're making it someone else's entertainment. You know, mm. <laughs> yeah. To me, like one of the measures of how good a person is is the extent to which they make their problems someone else's. Because everybody's got fucking problems. Like there's no one without them. You know. Yeah. But it's how much of a burden you make that someone else's. Yeah, it's definitely a sign of maturity. Yeah, and it's also uh, well. Goodness and badness. These are not concepts that I endorse exactly, right? I'm not about to co-sign a binary view of the world like that. Um, but certainly I think that um, the the harder you are on yourself, the harder you are on other people. Speaking of other people, how'd you meet your band? Where did you where did you come up with your band? I love this question. So Max is my bass player. He actually is he's phasing out. Um, he started doing his own thing um, and it's keeping him very busy. Um, and he just like wanted more time and, and brain space to devote to that. Um, so Max and I are, he's, he's like, he'll still play shows, you know, while we're, when we need him. Um, uh, so anyway, Max, I met Max at the, at that job. Max was the one who interviewed me for that job and sold me on it. Actually the full-time one that I took with the company. Um, yeah, he was just a really cool dude. And we hit it off in the interview and like, um, I liked working with him and he was funny and like, he started inviting me to like hang out with his friends and stuff. Um, and he was like, oh yeah, I do music too. Um, and he like had played in all these bands and he went to art school and like Max is just like really plugged into this like really rich community of very like nice, thoughtful people who kind of just like grew up on in the suburbs of Columbus, um, who all just like now are in their early thirties and making art. Like it's still like a big part of their lives. Right. Um, so Max actually was the first person, um, to really bring me into a community that worked for me artistically. I, I didn't have any real plans and Max was like, Hey, do you want to come over next week sometime? This is like the week before Christmas or the week of Christmas. He's like, do you want to come over and like, maybe work on some music? Um, I got some songs I'm working on with my friend, Charlie. Um, and maybe you could like do some stuff on them. And so I went over to Max's house the day after the New Year's Day of 2018. Um, and uh, I he had this really cool setup. He had like, like a little Wurlitzer keyboard and like his laptop and a couple of synthesizers. And he had kind of like a makeshift like recording studio going on. And I'm like, oh, this Wurlitzer is really cool. And I sit down and I like start playing this thing. And I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. And then Max is like, hey, that's pretty good. Let's record that. Um, and so we did. And we spent the whole day like developing this song um, and developing like parts for it. And then I was like, Max, I got to go home and write some lyrics. We, we drank it. We, we shared an entire case of PBR. Um, and at the end of the day, I was like, I got to go home. I got to write some lyrics for this. And I got in the bath and I stayed up like for, I was in the bath for like four hours, but I, I got my computer out on a little stool outside the bath and I like sat with my legs over the side and I just like wrote the lyrics to this song. Um, and then we did, and then when I went back the next day and worked on it some more and like we put vocals down and then I wrote a song every week for the next like three months. And every week we would record one of the, like a demo of one of these songs. So it, by March, 
I had a whole album oh. of songs. Nice. Soft Adults? Is that the name of the band? Uh, the Soft Adults is the name of my backing band, yeah. If, if, you, if you back me up, you're a soft adult. Why that name? Where, where'd that name come from? Oh, where'd that name come from? Um, that name, I mean, it comes from like soft rock and, a, and like adult contemporary. Okay. Sure. You know those terms from the 90s for music that used to be on the radio? Yeah, yeah. Here in Columbus, I think Sunny 95 still plays stuff that's kind of in that nice. ballpark. Um, yeah, I just, it, it came to me one day and I liked it. And so that's, and it, it seemed like it sort of fit the vibe I was trying to go for. So that's uh, who my band is, the Soft Adults. The Soft Adults. I like the name. Somebody, who was it who called them the Soft Gentlemen? Somebody, somebody misremembered it as the Soft Gentlemen, which I think is also pretty good. No one's ordering Soft Gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, what's, so you got a record coming. Yeah, I got a record coming. When's it out? Do you have a date? I don't have a date yet. Okay. Um, but we're, we're hoping December. Okay. Album art's together. Everything's recorded. Where are you? Uh, album art is what we're working on right now. Okay. Everything else is together. Everything else. Yep. The record is done. It's mixed and mastered. Um, we just got to put the finishing touches on it and, uh, make a video. I'm making a video yeah. for one of the singles. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you got to keep me in touch uh, in the loop on when it comes out. We'll, I uh, absolutely will. We'll tell everybody. How can uh, how can people find you? Where, where oh. are they going to see your stuff? I'm on Instagram. I'm at the Mary Steele, like the Ohio State University. It's T H E, and then very with an M and steel like the metal. I'm on Facebook, but not really. Um, you can sometimes see some stuff there, but I'm inconsistent, so don't um, you know don't rely on it too hard. Um, and then my music is everywhere that you are. Um, yeah. Spotify, so I'm Spotify, yeah. Apple Music, Napster. Napster. Napster's still around. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm on Napster. I'm on Tidal. You're still around. Mm-hmm. Yep. Of all the shit that you've told me today, in a strong field of interesting factoids, <laughs> Napster still exists. It does. It's still here. What the fuck? Yeah. And I'm on it. Yeah, that's, that's like finding out that, that somebody you liked that you thought was dead is actually not dead. <laughs> Napster. Okay, so that's cool. You're on Napster. You got a fucking MySpace. What else? I, I don't have a MySpace. Um, I don't really have a website yet. Okay. Um, do you that's need, coming. Hmm? Yeah, do you, I guess you do need one, huh? I mean, it doesn't hurt. Sure. sure. Yeah. Well, look, I want you to win. Thank you. I mean, I kind of want you to stay a little sad. I don't have a choice. Yeah, I, I don't want you to be sad because you're not selling shitloads of records and uh, and doing what you want in life. I just want you to be sad for all the reasons everybody else is, but I, I want you to have tons of success and uh, however you measure that and and keep making music. Thank you. Do you speaking of that? Would you mind playing one more song before we? Before we oh yeah. Go. Oh yeah. Um, you're gonna have to help me pick one though. Okay. Okay. So, how sad do you want it to be? Can I give you a, um, can I just make a request? Oh, that, yeah, you can make a request. Because I particularly like Riverland. Yeah. Um, and it, I didn't find that one crazily sad necessarily, but I did find it, um, I don't know, I just found it really compelling. I like the tune. Do you feel like playing that? Yeah, I'll play that. Well, uh, go check out Mary. Go see her stuff. Thanks, Andrew. This has been great. sit on the bank and think about life in the 
Still I 
Riverland 